Welcome to Mariners Cast, presented to you by Sports Ethos, your place for worldwide sports coverage. I'm your host, Tino Ganasius. You can find me on Twitter at TinoJr20 and the podcast at Ethos Mariners. It is August 24th, about 11 o'clock Pacific. The Mariners have an off day coming off of a loss to the Chicago White Sox last night. Mariners lost 5-4 in heartbreaking fashion, um, bookending a 10-game road trip with losses, a loss at the beginning, eight wins, and a loss at the end. Still a wonderful road trip for the Seattle Mariners, um, coming home to face Kansas City for three this weekend. On today's Mariners cast, which I believe is Mariners cast number 74, we will review the standings. We'll recap last night's game. I won't do the typical deep dive into last night's game. I want to talk mostly about the pitching. And then uh, with a little bit of the time left, uh, I'd like to speak on the Mariners, the national perspective on the Mariners farm system, starting from uh, the beginning of this season with baseball prospectus and their initial top 10 rankings to Pipeline's recent ranking, MLB Pipeline's recent rankings uh, a couple of weeks ago, that is a uh, publication that is affiliated with MLB. ESPN just came out with their their minor league rankings and um, included two Mariners in their top 50. And then uh, Lazaro Montes, who is, I think, is going to shoot up boards, but is an example of some of the biases that I see in uh, minor league player rankings. So the Mariners are now 71 and 56. They are still a game and a half out of first in the American League West. The Mariners currently hold the third wild card spot and are one game up on the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, as I said, they are headed into three games at home against Kansas City this weekend. Uh, Brady Singer against Bryce Miller in game one on Friday night. Shout out Josh Schweiger, my homie, is going to the game. Uh, Saturday and Sunday, 110 starts Jordan Lyles against Logan Gilbert and TBD against Luis Castillo. Mariners have the pitching matchup in all three, or the pitching advantage in all three matchups. Um, I would expect the Mariners to take two of three. So last night's game, uh, Mariners were down three zip in the sixth at the end of six. Scored a run in the seventh. We're down 3-1 heading into the ninth inning against White Sox closer Gregory Santos. Mariners scored three in the top of the ninth, take a 4-3 lead, bring in Andres Munoz to close out the game. Munoz gives up a run. It is now 4-4, and then Justin Topa took the loss in a pretty heartbreaking fashion on a, a ball that J.P. Crawford attempted to throw to third to get the tag on Tim Anderson uh, ball deflected off of Tim Anderson's helmet um, and Anderson subsequently scored. So Mariners are down three, one come back, take the lead. Andres Munoz blows a save. Um, I do think it's time to talk about truly moving Munoz into a different role. I don't think this is the right role for him. I understand how great his stuff is. But he is isn't trustworthy in the ninth at this point in time. 
Uh, Mariners bats were, you know, scored four runs, eh, kind of just below their their average um, on the season. Josh Rojas went three for four. He had a run in an RBI. His average on the year is now up to 242. Uh, Tail Hernandez, two for four. He continues to to have two-hit games or multi-hit games. His average is up to 259. Uh, Eugenio Suarez had a two-RBI single. And then J.P. Crawford, as always, walked twice. Uh, Not a lot of offense to speak of. Mariners did score the four runs, as I said. George Kirby... Five and two-thirds innings, eight hits, three runs, no walks, nine strikeouts, one home run surrendered, 100 pitches. Uh, he got a no decision. His start was uh, – he had very good stuff. He had swing and miss stuff in this game. His velo was pretty much – the slider was up a mile an hour. Everything else was down about a mile an hour. Um, nothing of concern. Uh, to me, the uh, spin, his spin was down slightly. It could, you know, not enough across the board to to be of any concern in my mind. Fastball sat 95.4. Uh, slider sat 86.9. He did get 17 whiffs on 54 swings. That is 31% uh, whiff rate. That is higher than his league or his uh, yearly average. Nine of those whiffs were on 22 slider swings. Six uh, whiffs on 26 fastball swings. So slider was working. I think that's part of why he threw it a lot. He was almost equal forcing fastball and slider mix. Uh, The White Sox also have a predominantly right-handed lineup, so that might have had something to do with it. Uh, 43 fastballs, 40 sliders, eight splitters, seven curves, two sinkers. So he really leaned off the sinker uh, in this game. That is a bit of a surprise to me. I do like the fact that he toggles his his pitch mix, though, quite a bit. So if he had nine strikeouts and he had strikeout stuff, what happened to George Kirby? In the third inning, he missed his spot to Tim Anderson. He threw a middle-middle four-seam fastball that Anderson hit for an RBI single. That was one of the runs he surrendered. And then in the sixth, he... uh Gave up a single to Oscar Colas um, on a middle, kind of higher, but um, in the middle of the zone, forcing fastball. Again, missed his spot a bit. You would expect that to be slightly higher um, top rail or outside or above the zone. And then Trace Thompson hit a home run, a 3-2 count on a slider that was belt high outer rail. Uh, George Kirby came out and said, that's where I wanted the pitch. He just happened to hit it out. That doesn't typically happen on that pitch. He's right. Um, I could see the slider being a little bit lower in the zone, but it wasn't a bad pitch at all. Um, and he, you know, props to Trace Thompson for hitting that one out. So he gives up three runs in five and two thirds innings. Uh, no real reason for concern on my end with his performance. Again, nine strikeouts. The big revelation pitching wise from this game was this was the first appearance um, as a Mariner for Luke Weaver. As I spoke of yesterday, Mariners signed him. Uh, he had thrown seven different pitches over the course of 2023. He had a horrendous ERA with the Cincinnati Reds, signed a one-year $2 million deal with the Reds. Obviously, to soak up innings, they did not expect any any sort of even remotely decent performance from him. He ends up getting cut. 
Mariners sign him. Mariners bring in Weaver in uh, in the seventh. At at this point in time, they're down three nothing. They want to see what they have. This was a lower leverage situation, and Weaver kind of shocked the world. Uh, two innings, five strikeouts. <laughs> if you can believe that, uh, twenty six pitches, twenty one strikes brings his ERA down to 6.73, if you can believe that. But you have to like what you see from him. You have to have loved this performance as a Mariners fan. So coming into the game, he threw the top four pitches usage-wise were forcing fastball at 44%, changeup at 21%, slider at 14%, Curveball at 13%. The Mariners said, no more curveball, no more slider. You're going to lead with the cutter that you only threw 6% of the time so far this season. You're going to lean off the fastball a bit, and we want you to throw the sweeper more. So 26 pitches, 10 of them were cutters, five of six of them were four-seam fastballs, Five each changer sweeper. So as I said on yesterday's Mariners cast, they were going to tweak Luke Weaver. They were going to cut at least two pitches from his repertoire. They were going to take the ones that they that they liked the most, and they were going to have him use those more. It's clear he can pitch. It's clear that he has pretty good stuff, specifically that changeup. But the mix was wrong. The mix was wrong. He was trying to do too much. I'm sure the Mariners tweaked something in his mechanics, probably a little bit or grip on a pitch or something like that. We'll probably hear more about it later. But his velocity was up across the board on his yearly averages, 1.2 miles an hour on the fastball. So he was all the way up at 95.2 on the four seam. Could be because he was working in relief. His changeup was a hard one at 88. His sweeper was at 84 and the cutter was at 91. Spin was up on all four pitches. So higher quality stuff the cutter had the cutter was up a half mile an hour but it also was up two inches on both the vertical and the horizontal break so more movement more velocity slightly more spin luke weaver got nine whiffs on 16 swings that's a 56 percent whiff rate granted it is one outing but that's one Awesome outing from Luke Weaver. He struck out Lennon Sosa on three pitches. Two of them were down the middle. I like that approach. What that means is he's looking at a player like Sosa and he's saying, you know what? You can't hurt me. We're down three, nothing. Here's three pitches. I bet you can't hit him. And he didn't. He struck out Tim Anderson on five pitches. Two were on the frame of the strike zone and three were way outside. Smart approach to Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson is the epitome of a free swinger does not take walks there is no reason to throw him a strike down the middle he strikes out elvis andrews and three pitches two were on the frame and a forcing fastball that was way high andrews also chases so where he was locating it was very clear that a he can locate where he wants to and b he understood the hitters that he was facing and how to approach them He struck out Luis Robert in the next inning on four pitches. He threw a sweeper middle-middle for strike one. 
which he kind of did the same thing to Eloy. I think that it was obvious to me that he thought that they would either A, be looking for something hard, or B, taking the first pitch to see what kind of stuff Luke Weaver had. So he threw the sweeper to both of them, middle-middle for strike one. Then to Robert, it was four fast four a four-seam fastball up and in for a ball, and then two really nice change-ups that were low and in for balls, and Luis Roberts swung at the last one for strike three. That change-up is a beautiful pitch, and it is moving hard in and at the feet of a right-handed hitter. Super effective pitch against Robert. Against Eloy, he struck him out in three pitches. He threw that sweeper uh, for strike one. And then two low and inside changeups again, the same approach as to Robert. The first one was fouled off, and the second one was a swinging strike three. And then the last hitter was Andrew Vaughn, eight pitch, ground out, but nothing middle-middle to Vaughn as well. Vaughn is also a bit of a sw- free swinger. So super clear that he had a um, an idea of what he was doing, of who he was facing, and what he wanted to do. Clear plan of attack. And the bigger thing is you saw the Mariners probably instruct him to not throw two of his major pitches that he was throwing as a starter. They just add, just junked the slider and the curveball. That's 26% of his usage coming into this game. Those pitches were just thrown in the garbage. So I'm interested to see what the pitch mix, mix looks like in his next outing. Very, very, very uh, uh, positive outing from Luke Weaver. You hope to see even something sim- remotely similar um, in subsequent outings, but they may have something here, especially if he, he's a guy that can go two innings, can go three innings at a time. Um, super fun to watch. Nice outing from Luke Weaver. Andres Munoz just couldn't locate uh, – his stuff was, you know, velocity was fine, slightly down on the slider, slightly up on the four seam and sinker over his yearly averages. Spin was up a little bit. So no big worry on the stuff. 40% whiff rate right in line with league at, with his, excuse me, with his uh, yearly average. But he threw three belt high sliders to Oscar Colas and gave up a double. I don't know about the approach of throwing him exclusively sliders. I know he can't hit anything or the belt, the book on him is that he can't hit anything outside of a fastball. But when you locate it middle, middle, most major league hitters are going to be able to do it, especially right-handed slider to a left-handed hitter. Trace Thompson strikes out. Andrew Benatendi singles to drive in, um, Oscar Colas on a, what was pretty much a middle, middle slider is just below the belt. But again, you're not locating a slider to a left-handed hitter as a right-handed pitcher, they're going to hit. And um, so that, to me, was disappointing. I don't think it was poor stuff with Munoz. It was poor location. I would have liked to have seen him not throw that slider so much to lefties. I understand the numbers are great on it, but clearly they were seeing the slider. So he gave up that run. Again, Mariners losing a 10th on the really random um, throw from J.P. Crawford that hit Tim Anderson in the head, bounced away, White Sox score. So Mariners lose 5-4, weird game, lots of takeaways from the pitching. Um, Day off today, day of rest, pitchers can rest their arms, should come back fresh and ready to go for the Royal Series starting tomorrow.
So real quickly on the Mariners uh, farm system. Mariners farm system has been getting some individuals have been getting a little bit of uh, of publicity as of late. Cole Young is shooting up boards. Um, he was rated by Kylie McDaniel of ESPN as his number 24 prospect. Uh, Cole Young is now in high A. He According to Kylie McDaniel, quote, Young fits the underappreciated infielder bucket that has produced uh, Altuve, Simeon, Jose Ramirez, Mookie Betts, Pedroia, and more. He's not necessarily saying that that's who Cole Young is, but it's these players that lack physical explosion um, who are able to just really able to hit. And what I find interesting about the players that he named is that of those players, outside of Jose Ramirez, they really don't have super high, you know, exit velocities. They're not players that that are physical. It's more about um, back control and understanding how to hit fly balls to specific places. Um, that's certainly the approach of Betts. That's certainly the approach of Marcus Simeon. And if Cole Young's able to do it, they've got something. So he had Cole Young at 24. He also had Harry Ford at 44. Um, Pipeline, their top five for the Mariners is Cole Young, Harry Ford, Gabriel Gonzalez, Colt Emerson, Michael Arroyo. They also had at Hancock at six, Felden Celestin at seven, Classe at eight, Farmelo at nine, Taipete at 10. No sign of Lazaro Montes in Pipeline's top 10. Uh, certainly no Lazaro Montes in, uh, Kylie McDaniel's, uh, MLB top 50. No Lazaro Montes in, um, the, uh, baseball prospectus Mariners top 10. This did come out to their credit. This came out on November 30th of 2022. I also will give BP credit because they are much higher on international free agent signings than um, the other publications are. They're more aggressive. I'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, so one other note from the ESPN rankings, they valued, so they uh, they put a dollar value on prospects and assess the uh, the farm systems based on that dollar value. And the Mariners were 23rd in baseball, according to Kylie McDaniel. The last sentence was that uh, he lists the players. They said their steady flow from their international program, but graduation, graduations and trades have thinned out uh, the Mariners minor leagues a bit. The Mariners aren't the 23rd best minor league system. I can tell you that right now. I go back to this is not even – not even acknowledging the player development system where the Mariners have produced, you know, I've read this to you before, Cal Raleigh, Ty France for all intents and purposes, JP Crawford really developed as a Mariner, Jared Kelnick, Cade Marlowe, Julio Rodriguez, Kirby, Gilbert, Bryce Miller, Wu, Hancock. These are all out of the Mariner system, not to mention the guys on the way who we just talked about, but even if you're just talking about the Mariners system currently, it is not the 23rd best. It is much higher than that. 
He's got Cole Young and Harry Ford in his top 50. But Lazaro Montes is phenomenal. This has been phenomenal this year. I think you are going to see him in a lot of off-season top 100 lists in the top 50. And it's, I guess what is um, frustrating for me is that a lot of these publications do not, um, are unwilling to rank international free agent signings as high as American drafted players in large part because they haven't been able to see them or scout them as much. And the development, the, the physical development comes a lot later for those players because oftentimes, especially if they're coming from the Dominican or Puerto Rico, they haven't developed physically in the same way with the same resources as American players do. Montes is a good example, right? When he came up, he was 6'3", you know, maybe 200 pounds. He's now it's like 6'6", 6'7", and 250 pounds. He is a hulking dude. And he's probably going to land at first base because he's pretty slow-footed. But listen to this. In rookie ball, in, in a um, low A Modesto this season, he's sitting 307, 449 on base, 620 slug, 1.069 OPS. And in 54 games... He has 16 doubles, two triples, 12 home runs, 51 RBIs, 43 walks, 54 strikeouts. And he's hit some absolute bombs. I know it's blasphemous to compare players to Jordan Alvarez, but left-handed swing, great pitch recognition, much better hit tool than you would expect from a slugger, you know, 70 grade power. He is Cuban as well. That's not a reason to comp him, but he is Cuban as well. And I just, I think that the fact that he wasn't on BP's top 10 coming into the season, the fact that he wasn't on the MLB pipeline top 10 at midseason, and there's no acknowledgement of him from uh, Kylie McDaniel, is just crazy. You know, you see Farmelo on the pipeline list. You see Ty Pete on the pipeline list. I like those guys. You see Emerson all the way up at four. I like all three of those guys. All three of the first Mariners first round picks I like. But you've got an 18-year-old Lazaro Montes who's destroying Loe. Absolutely leaving it in tatters. And he's not on that list. I, I think there's this this bias towards American players on these lists because these prospect folks are nervous to make broad or, you know, big statements about players that they haven't, they don't feel as comfortable with. Right. But which to a certain extent I get, you want to be conservative. You want to talk about, you know, you really want to rank highly the players that you've seen, you feel comfortable with at some point you got to take a chance or you got to get eyes on these players somehow. Baseball Prospectus does this. They get more eyes on lower minor league players, international players. And so they're able to rank them, I think, at a more um, true value spot. I appreciate that about Baseball Prospectus. I appreciate the fact that they're willing to invest in getting those looks, that they're willing to take ch some chances 
with their rankings and put international players higher. You know, you see some some player international free agents you see on the pipeline and ESPN and some of those. But in my mind, it's because you see these guys all over Twitter. Other people are talking about them. Junior Caminero, everyone was talking about Junior Caminero for three months from Tampa Bay. You see his highlights all over the place. That's not a hard one, right? There's a lot of video of Sebastian Walcott, the 6'4 shortstop for the Texas Rangers in the Texas Rangers organization. So you're seeing him rocket up lists. But I feel like they're just looking at other people's videos when they post them on Twitter and be like, oh, that dude looks good. I'm going to put him on my list without actually digging and finding players like Montes, right? Players like even like a Celestin. And they're not getting the credit that they deserve to me. I think it's crazy. I personally, I make my own top 100 list at the beginning of the year. I make one at midseason. Um, I do a top 50 at midseason. And I do a Mariners top 10, as I've talked about on the pod. But in the offseason, I had Lazaro Montes at 38 overall in baseball. And I didn't have a ton of video on him, but all the video that was available on the internet, I watched. And what I saw was a very powerful, beautiful left-handed swing that where there was the potential for plus hit tool. If you combine plus hit with, you know, 65, 70 grade power, you're talking about a superstar. He had a lot of swing and miss last year, but he's brought that down. You know, swing and miss for for an 18-year-old is not... Yes, you would rather see greater bat to ball, but what you need to see is the physical explosion first. And then hopefully that player can learn how to cut down on the swing and miss. It could be, you know, some pitch recognition stuff. It could be stuff you could teach, whatever it is. I had Montes at 38 based on film in March. So this was basically at the end of 22 season. In March of uh, before the season started, I had him at 61 overall. But then on the midseason top 50 for me, I had him back at 33. I just I think that that again this bias towards players that are drafted over free international free agents needs to be addressed. And if I was a a a part of an organization, a major league baseball organization, I would say that hey, there is a um. There's a bias. These players are being these American born or American drafted players are being uh, valued higher than the international players. And we need to take advantage of this. So what I did was I went on fan graphs and I sorted by fan graphs war the top 30 qualified hitters. So top 30 qualified hitters. That means qualifying for a batting title. Enough at bats. Top 30 fan graph war. 14 of the 30 hitters were came into baseball as international free agents. Two of them were Shohei Otani and Hassan Kim, so players who had played in overseas professionally before coming over. But even then, 12 of the top 30 were IFAs that were signed as kids. On compared to uh Kylie McDaniel's list on ESPN, 
five of his top 30 prospects were IFAs and 11 of his top 50 prospects were IFAs. Now, this is a snapshot in time of his list. I get that. But one-sixth of the top 30? But then when you sort for Fangraph's war, it's almost half of the top 30? It could Again, it could be a moment in time. I don't think it is. It's something I've seen for a long, long time. Of the pitchers, of the top 30 Fangraph's war pitchers, eight of those pitchers were IFAs. Two are... Kodai Senga and Yu Darvish would pitch professionally overseas. But you just, I, I see when I, when I sort for Fangraphs War, I see more IFAs than you're seeing on these lists. And I think that, again, I think that there is a um, either misconception or bias, whatever you want to call it, uh, towards the American drafted players. And um, it's why, again, Lazaro Montes, players like that within the Mariners system, I you don't see as high on lists. It's also why when you're trying to grade the Mariners system and you want to come at me with the argument of the Mariners system not being very high, and that's, you know, a uh, an indictment of the Jerry DePoto regime, I'm going to tell you you're wrong because – There are folks in baseball, the smart organizations, they don't give a rip about what Kylie McDaniel says or ESPN or Pipeline or anybody because they see the swing that Lazaro Montes has and they understand that he's being undervalued by the public, but they would value him in the, in a, I I believe a more accurate fashion. So I just, I find it interesting. I think the Mariner system is much better than the rankings that you see. It's no knock on, you know, Cole Young, Colt Emerson, Johnny Farmello, Ty Pete, those guys. It's no knock on them at all. It's just to say that the Mariners system is deeper and better than these folks are giving them credit for, in part because of their, um, what I will call, inability to really see or quickly uh, assess the talent of some of these younger international free agent signings. Again, super interesting to me. Um, one other note while I'm on this, you know, kind of salty uh, soapbox. I was listening to Rates and Barrels. This was prior to Luke Weaver signing with the Mariners. Uh, they didn't know he was going to the Mariners yet. They correctly, this is uh, Derek Van Riper and and uh, Eno Saris, they correctly identified him as a, maybe it was, no, maybe it was uh, uh, DVR and um, Keith Law. It was DVR and someone, but DVR was the one talking. And he correctly identified him as being a relief uh, possibility instead of starting. And then he talked about, you know, if, if Weaver went to the Dodgers or the Guardians or the Brewers or the Rays, and talked about these organizations as, you know, the type of organization that can take a pitcher like Weaver and make him into a, an asset, right? An effective pitcher because of pitch design, because of um, just being able to, to get the best out of his abilities. And I just thought to myself, when the hell are you going to start mentioning the freaking Mariners? How many Mariner, how many pitchers does the Seattle organization have to produce? For you to mention them in the same light. And you know what? 
Brewers guys have been hurt. I love Corbin Burns. Woodruff's been hurt. Peralta's been up and down. Uh, Ashby's been hurt and hasn't been nearly as good as people expected him to be. So why are you talking about them? The Guardians? Daniel Espino is never going to be anything. Yes, Tanner Bybee is good, right? Tristan McKenzie is hurt. Logan Logan Allen is okay. I don't love him. Gavin Williams is good, but he better find a breaking ball. The Dodgers, yes. The Dodgers produce talent, but Gavin Stone hasn't pitched well this year. Bobby Miller is a, a middle-of-the-rotation starter. And yet the Mariners, four or five of their top six starters are all produced, you know, in-house. And they've got three of the top ten um, starting pitcher whips in baseball. And the second best ERA and the best whip as a team in baseball. And four of those, these five guys are homegrown. Get out of here, man. You got to start giving the Mariners some credit. All the Rays guys are hurt. Like, I, I feel like the Mariners in some ways are invisible at times. Um, anyways, that made me salty. Uh, so that's the recap on kind of where the Mariners system sits currently. Uh, some of my opinion about, you know, what people are saying about the Mariners system. I should say as well that you've got a lot of players moving up getting more at-bats. They move Cole Young to Everett. We talked about that. That is a super fun team with Young and Harry Ford and Gabriel Gonzalez. Um, they moved Emerson and Ty Pete up to uh, Loe Modesto to get more at-bats. Now you've got them in Loe Modesto with uh, Lazaro Montes and some of the others. So it's just, Mary's farm system is fun. And you can look at the number, you can look at the rank and say, hey, they're not, you know, they're not that good. I'm telling you, they are. There are a lot of bats on the way, a ton of bats on the way. Maybe not next year, but in 25, you're going to see a lot of these guys start to arrive. I do expect them to go heavy in, heavy in pitching in the draft and in, in the IFA market uh, this next season. I think that's the the system is a bit imbalanced as of right now because of the graduations of Wu Hancock and Miller, but again, a lot of fun. So Mariners lose last night. Mariners have an off day today. Mariners take on the Kansas City Royals Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Again, I would expect them to win this series, take a minimum of two of three. Um, you'd like to see them make up some ground on the Rangers and the Astros, but as of right now, you're in the playoffs. So what, what more can you ask for? Thanks again for listening to the Mariners cast from Sports Ethos. Once again, you can find me on Twitter at TinoJr20. That's T-I-N-O-J-R-2-0. And the podcast at Ethos Mariners, E-T-H-O-S-M-A-R-I-N-E-R-S. I will be back tomorrow to preview this Royal Series. Take care, y'all. Enjoy that Thursday. Peace.